Good morning, church. That was a good one. That was a good song to lead into this this morning. I promise, I promise, just keep the words in the back of your mind and you will see how well that, uh, that song goes with, with this passage this morning. Uh, the passage is Genesis chapter 11. I encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have one of your Bibles uh, or a phone tapped there, then uh, grab a black Bible on your table or under your chair. Turn to page, I don't know, eight in the black Bible. should be pretty simple. And uh, read along. I'm going to read Genesis 11, 1 through 9. This is God's word. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Do you pray once more with me as we... Ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. Father God, we are thankful for your word. Uh, as your children, uh, those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and thus have repented and believed, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and pray that God, you would reveal yourself afresh in these scriptures in these nine verses. And God, I pray for those who may happen to be with us this morning who have yet to be redeemed by you, have yet to be reconciled to you, that you might reveal yourself to them for the first time this morning in these scriptures, and that they, without having to incur what the people of Babel incurred, would themselves turn from their own ways, repent of their sins, and believe upon the name Jesus Christ, the name above every name. So help me, Father, I pray, as I aim to communicate how good and gracious you are and how desperately we need you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
as we get started, I want to share with you that it is my belief that the three little pigs did, have not read Genesis chapter 11. And you may go ahead. I got a drum roll on the front row. I don't, you may understand why I'm thinking that uh, if you're you know, go ahead, going ahead a few steps. But I don't think they've read Genesis 11. And I don't think they've read the rest of their New Testament either. Uh, so uh, you'll see why. As these uh, people there in Babel aimed to build a tower out of bricks and found that that did not save them from the Lord's hand. Well, if the three little pigs had read that, they wouldn't have tried with hay or with sticks or with bricks to build themselves a house to be able to save themselves from the big bad wolf. Right, girls? You know what I'm talking about. Th those girls in the back, they know. They're tracking with Pastor Brian right now because they know the story of the three little pigs, okay? Now, as I started reading, if you've been here the past week, you may think, wait a second, Brian, last week you told us that there were three textual markers in Genesis chapter 10 that kind of broke down that passage for us that said something about that the peoples, like in verse 5 of chapter 10, that the peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and in their nations. And then you probably jump down to verse 20 where you have a note as well there, same thing. There are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. And then again, in verse 31, these are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. And so, Pastor Brian, why does it say, now the whole earth had one language and the same words? I thought they were spread out among all the languages. What's, what's happened here? Well, that would be really intuitive of you and astute of you, and I'm proud of you as good Berean Bible studiers. Uh, but let me just clue you in on something. Your Bible is not always written chronologically. And this is one of those moments. Genesis chapter 11 would seem confusing if we thought it was chronologically after chapter 10. But it's not. It's thematically placed there by Moses under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to prove a point, um, bookended by your favorite genealogies, right? Genealogy uh, specifically of Noah in chapter 10, narrowing down uh, to this guy named Shem, uh, and then a genealogy later on in Genesis chapter 11, um, going from Shem all the way down to a guy named Abram. And right in the middle, God, who inspired Moses to write these things down, placed this story that happens in the midst of the genealogy in chapter 10. We know this because uh, in, the, in the passage that I just read, as you read about this people that eventually were dispersed in verse 9 of chapter 11. It says, over all the face of the earth. Back in Genesis chapter 10, it says in verse 25 that to Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided. Uh, it's thought that this passage in Genesis chapter 11 
not chronologically, but thematically is placed here. But if it were chronologically, it would have been placed during uh, the lifetime of Peleg, whose name went on to mean division, or was even named division because during his time, the earth was divided. And so that's, thought where the, that's the thought of where this passage would have gone chronologically, but it's placed here thematically uh, to, to prove a point of what happened to the peoples of the earth as they began to spread around. Uh, and we see that in verse 1, that, that description that Moses tells us that the whole earth had one language and the same words. Can, if you can imagine Noah who alone with his wife and his sons and his sons' wives obviously had one language on the boat. And then as they came off the boat, they passed that language on to their kids and to their kids. And so maybe some five generations later, they still all had that, that one language. And that sounds great, right? Uh, those of us who have traveled around the world, those of us who care much about getting the gospel to all of the nations, even the Inuits in Greenland, um, we would wish that were, were the case, that, that it would be that easy to be able to have one language. Um, and, and this one language, though as good as it seemed, happened to be a pretty negative thing and something that the Lord ended up taking away from them. In verse 2, this one language and same words led to, to this in verse 2. As the people migrated from the east, warning bells, warning bells, warning bells, they moved from the east and they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. At that point, the Israelites who were reading this passage, uh, they would have had warning bells going off because ever since the fall of mankind and Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden in the east of the garden. Uh, east has always meant a, a sign of judgment. And so as Moses is writing that these people went east, uh, their warning bells would have gone off. Th this is not going to go well. Something bad is going to go down. Not only that, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, which was described uh, earlier, uh, it was the place of Ham's grandson, Nimrod, whose name meant rebel, that he had set up uh, eventually the city of, of Babel during his lifetime. So we've already been warned already that this is not a good place because it's east and it's in the land of Shinar. And here's what they did there in verse 3. And let me give you my point for these first four verses the, these first four verses are describing man's proud attempts to make a name for himself, for themselves. Man's proud attempts to make a name for themselves. And we see that in verse 3, or even 2 and in 3. It says in verse 3, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Why? 
lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And so even from the very beginning, rather than continuing to do what God had told them to do, and not the same thing that he told Adam and Eve to do in the very beginning, to be fruitful and multiply and, what was the phrase? Fill the earth. They decided, no, you know, what would actually be better? What would be easier and probably more enjoyable in this cursed earth with hard ground would be, let's settle. Let's all gather together in one place. Instead of filling the earth with the glory of God, let's settle in one place. And as we settle here, uh, let's not just enjoy temporary abodes and tents. Let's build homes. Let's build a city. Let's build something, a tower that will reach to the heavens. Let's build a name for ourselves here. Rather than filling the earth with the glory of God, let's fill this place with the glory of man. And so they settled there and they began to make bricks, which uh, if you're a Hebrew scholar, you would know that that word for bricks means to whisk together and to mix up, or, or later, as we'll see it played out in our text, confused up. Uh, and they took these bricks that they had made and they burned them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Now, if you've traveled to Jerusalem... Um, or would have known life in Palestine, you would know that the Israelites built not with bricks, but with stone. Uh, Large, large stones all over the land. And so there's even a note here that this was different from what was um, eventually going to be done and what would be done in that area of Palestine here. But they took these bricks, they took the soil, mixed it with water, made some bricks, and then fired them, burned them together. And, um, you know, in my mind, many years ago, this was something that happened in a a brick factory at Acme, right, Uh, where you could buy your bricks from and that kind of thing. Only when I traveled to Africa and began to see what I thought were like giant termite mounds, uh, you know, way taller than this thing, just a giant uh, mound of dirt, uh, but come to, with with a little hole in the side. Come to find out was where people were going to be building homes. You didn't have bricks delivered like you had here. You went to the place you were going to build a home. You took the soil that was there. You mixed it with water. You pounded it into a form, dumped it out, stacked them on top of each other, made a little temporary house-like thing and and a hole in the middle and set fire right then and there, hardening all of those bricks that you did, uh, that you had made, putting out the fire. Now you had hard bricks to actually use to build your home. Only until I traveled to Africa did I see this actually happen, and this is what they're doing. They're they're building bricks, mixing together bricks, um, because, because they can. They have one language. They're able to do anything that they want in this place, and they don't want to be dispersed. They want to settle here and be able to um, make a name for themselves, and, so, and that's exactly what they did. They made homes. They made a city, uh, and eventually they aimed to make a tower with its top 
in the heavens. They made a tower with, the, with its top in the heavens. And they would name their, their city Babel. And we'll see later why the Lord would refer to it as Babel himself. But their reference to this city and this, why we refer to this as the Tower of Babel is because Babel for them meant gate of God. They thought this was going to be their way to reach God. Their way to save themselves. Um, being able to build something so great uh, that they would be able to save themselves to reach the Lord in the heavens. And as you know, because I read, you realize that this fell very, very short. They wanted to build a city and put their name on it and have a tower to the heavens. But unfortunately, Revelation will refer to Babylon that it's not their tower that reaches to the, he the heavens. Revelation chapter 18, verse 5, makes it very clear that it was their sins that reached to the heavens. And we need to consider that. We need to consider their attempts uh, at, at times, though we may have never built a tower like that or never built a city like that, we have attempted to build a name for ourselves at one point in our lives or another. And we still struggle with that, wanting to build a name for ourselves, wanting to be known for something that we have done, something that we've accomplished, something that we have. We want people to know. We want people to do that. And yet, even in that attempt is pride. It, at the heart of their desire was pride. It was thinking that they were able to save themselves from whatever may come in the future. Remember, this is not too far from the generation of Noah that endured the flood. Some think that building a tower with its height in the heavens was them trying to build something so tall if another flood came upon the earth, they could be up at the top of it and save themselves in that moment. Or, or maybe they did believe the promise that God would never flood the earth again. There might be another destruction that they needed to find escape from and find safety from. And so they were going to find it themselves rather than trusting in the Lord at those times. This isn't just something that the people in Genesis chapter 11 struggle with. This is something that the Israelites who were reading this struggled with. Wanting to make a name for themselves wanting to save themselves, wanting to provide for themselves, wanting to secure themselves. This is something people during Jesus' lifetime struggled with. This is something that we struggle with. And if we were left to ourselves, we too would probably have a, a home, a city, and a tower with our name on it. Just look at all the things, even all the towers with names on them. Think of all of the stuff that people want to put their name on it so that they're remembered over and over and over. Isaiah helps us, though. He shows us how feeble their attempts were, our attempts are at making a name for ourselves with anything here in this earth because of our pride. In Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, it says, for the Lord of hosts has a day. 
today might not be that day. For them, this day came partially uh, in this text that we're reading, but today may not be the day that he does this for us, but there is a day, and the Lord of hosts has a day, Isaiah writes, against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. And then he names several um, several aspects of places that are known for certain things. Even against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, and against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, and against all the uplifted, uplifted hills, against every high tower, and against every fortified wall. Uh, You think about Jericho. You think about these places that provided cedars and oaks for the building of the temple and things like that. But the Lord says there's a day when all of that will be torn down. All of those things that are worked so hard for to build a name for yourself, to be able to protect for yourself, to be able to provide for yourself, all of those attempts will in the end be torn down. The Lord has a day that those things will be torn down. And so I want you to consider for a moment what tower are you trying to build in your life? What kind of bricks are you mixing together in your life to make your life more secure, to provide for your wants and desires more than the Lord's wants and desires? What kind of things are you striving for to make a name for yourself? Maybe even building a tower to the heavens, trying to save yourself from hell and eternity separated from God. Isaiah wrote a long time ago what would be made even more clear even in the New Testament that all of our attempts to save ourselves, all of our, all of our proud attempts to make a name for ourselves will be torn down in the end. When, when you get to heaven and you face the Lord, and He says, what do you, why should I let you in to this kingdom of mine? Why, why are you to come in? Any attempts of you to say, well, I did this. I put my name on this, and I built this tower, and I did this, and I strive to do this. And even if some of those things are good, I I tried to make you known. I tried to pray. I tried to read. I did all of these things. Any of those proud things that we would say in that moment are going to fall short and will be torn down and seen how fleeting and how unsatisfactory they are in the end. Only when we lead out with, well, you sent your one and only son to die for us on the cross. I I deserve no entrance into your kingdom except that before the foundation of the world, you set out to make a way for me to, to be with you. Rather than me building a tower to the heavens, you sent your one and only son down to the earth to live the life I couldn't live and to die the death that I deserve. Consider for a second what What homes, what city, what tower, what name you're building for yourself in this life. And lay it aside. 
Spend some time this morning, this day, confessing, repenting, meaning turn from those things. Do whatever it takes to lay those things aside so that you're not tempted by them again, to pick them up again, to start mixing bricks again to make a name for yourselves. Start saying more of the name of the Lord than your own name in those moments. The very thing that, um, that they feared being dispersed is the very thing that the Lord is going to be, bring upon, upon them. The very thing that they thought was a strength, uh, their secret weapon, if you will, a common language, the Lord is going to confuse and get rid of. Uh, let that not be the case for us. Let us be the one to humbly confess and repent lest the Lord need to discipline and oppose us and, 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 and take those giftings away from us. Um, might if we humble ourselves and pray and confess and repent, the Lord would use those things for his namesake rather than we attempting to use them for our namesake. Well, you get to verse 5, and here's where this great reversal happens. In verse 5, it says that the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. It's here in verse 5 through the end of this passage in verse 9 that we see uh, not man's proud attempts to make a name for themselves, but God's gracious opposition to make a name for himself. God's gracious opposition to man's proud attempts to make a name for himself. And it's funny because with all of this talk of them building themselves a tower with its top in the heavens, verse 5 says that the Lord, as high as that tower might have been, the Lord still had to come down to see it. As big as our attempts might be that we think we're building a name for ourselves or, or really just going to make the Lord proud of us in that moment, we need to realize how good and how great and how big our God really is. And all of our attempts are, are feeble in his eyes. He's going to have to come down to be able to see even this tower that's being built there in Babylon. And so the, the Lord comes down uh, like in Genesis chapter 1, um, where it says that, uh, that the Lord would said to himself, let us make man in our image. Uh, after the Lord came down, he used that same language in verse 7, let us go down. Uh, the triune God acting in this way that let us go down and let us put away their, their feeble attempts in that moment. In verse 6, it says uh, the Lord's description. We've read Moses' description of the people in verse 1 and, and 1 through 4. This is the Lord's description of the people. In verse 6, behold, they are one people. And they have all one language. And this, what's this? This is the settling, 
the building of homes, the building of a city, the building of a tower with its top in the heavens. This, the Lord says, is only the beginning of what they will do. This is just the, the start of what they're, going, what they're going to be able to do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. This is where we get the understanding that though they're described with one language uh, and being all in one place, uh, that sounds good and great and grand, but here the Lord says it's not good because uh, though we strive for unity, even as a church, to be unified, we as a church need to be unified in the Spirit. We need to be unified under the Word of God. Unity uh, in the wrong direction is not good. And that's what they showed themselves here. It was unity, not to build a name for the Lord and to fill the earth with the glory of God. It was unity to build a name for themselves. And this was just the start, the Lord said. And so what did God do in that moment? Did he, he come down and, and destroy them? Did he come down and wipe them out? Uh, send another flood? No, he already promised not to do that. So he didn't do that. He, in fact, came down and showed grace. Grace in the form of discipline and, and punishment. And, and that may seem contrary to you in your minds, but what would have happened if the Lord would have left them by themselves? Continued to do everything that they wanted. If this was just the start and nothing would be impossible, what would have happened? Parents of kids that you leave them for a little bit and they start getting into stuff and they start doing things that they shouldn't be doing. If left to themselves, you could probably say the same thing that the Lord said here. This is only the start. Nothing is going to be impossible. If I leave them in their room by themselves, they will probably come and try to thwart our leadership and take over this home by themselves. And they would. Uh, they would very much try to do that. But if you catch them, in that moment, uh, if you catch them in that moment and by grace discipline and punish them and point them not to live for their own name but to live for the name of the Lord, that's gracious, that's kind because you know that any attempts, any sinful attempts to make a name for themselves is not going to last, is not going to save them, is not going to secure them a place in the Lord's heavenly kingdom. And so the Lord, so I said that the Lord graciously opposes man's proud attempts. Why? To make a name for himself. And that's what he does. In verse 7, he says, Come, let us go down. Earlier, it was the man saying, Come, let us. Come, let us make bricks. Come, let us build ourselves. Well, now here the Lord uses that language against them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. The very 
secret weapon that they thought they had that would enable them to do great things in Babel. Their one common language uh, was the very thing that the Lord took away from them. We have to realize here that the Lord could have disciplined them in any way. Uh, he, He could have done a host of different things. But what it seems like the Lord is doing in this moment, he's getting to the, the heart of the issue. And for them, it was them using this common language that could have been a blessing, not only to fill the earth with the glory of God in one language, but to make the gospel known with one language to, to all peoples. Uh, the Lord turns that. The Lord confuses them. And that word for confuse is, is like the word for bricks, to mix up, to whisk together. He took that language and he took all, the, all of the letters in it and made it like alphabet soup, right? You remember eating that back in the day and trying to make words in your spoon and things like that. Well, he took the alphabet that was so organized and just whisked it up, confused it, and mixed it together so that they... Uh, couldn't understand one another anymore. I, I, I thought this is my, my kid's favorite story in this Jesus storybook Bible, and I thought I would just read it for your uh, uh, enjoyment and for engaging our kiddos uh, as Sally Lloyd-Jones describes this moment when the Lord confused their language. She writes, You see, God had given each person a completely different language. Suddenly, no one understood what anyone else was saying. Someone would say, how do you do? And the other person thought they said, how ugly are you? It wasn't funny. You could be saying something nice like, such a lovely morning, and get a punch in the nose because they thought you said, hush up, you're boring. She did a great job there engaging kiddos with the confusion that would have happened in that moment. Just imagine going to work and no one speaking the same language. No one. No no common language either that that you could say to someone and translate that to somebody else, like none, none of that. Just imagine trying to get something done. Uh, Not even the same sign language uh, for those of you that were using that earlier this morning talking in secret. Uh, none of that. I, I experienced this in a, uh, those of you that have been in other places where you don't understand, you've experienced some of this. We experienced this in our home when, when Samuel came home two years ago and spoke no English. And I spoke no Karundi. And trying to communicate with hand symbols and, and uh, make-believe sign language and this, that, or the other even still to this day, trying to communicate certain things. I remember trying to communicate the question, why? Why? Why did you do that? Why? Because I did it. I, I know, but why? Why did you do it? Mm-hmm, I did it. You know, it was like so difficult. But imagine that compounded infinitely when no one has the same language anymore. Imagine that in your home. Imagine that at your workplace. Imagine what that would do to a group of people who were striving in their own efforts to make a name for themselves. 
That's why it describes that they left off the building of the city in that point, in that moment. Not only were they confused, but the Lord in verse 8 says that the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. The one thing that they wanted, and rather than going Spreading out throughout the earth, being fruitful and multiplying, filling the earth with the glory of God. The one thing they said they settled in that one place, lest they be dispersed over the face of, earth, of the earth. The one thing they had hoped that this building of bricks, building of homes, building of a city, building of a tower would bring is the very thing that the Lord took away from them in that moment. The Lord was getting to the heart of the issue in this moment when he disperses them. Their greatest fear of being dispersed is what the Lord gave them as their discipline. And yet this is the grace of God because they could have continued in their efforts there and been on the trajectory leading to hell, building a name for themselves. And they could have had a nice tower that they could have talked about forever in hell. But here, the Lord would not settle for that. He wanted something more for his people, for all peoples. In verse 9, it goes on and says, Therefore, its name was called Babel. And for them, that meant gate of God. They, they thought that their tower was the gateway to heaven, and they were touting their name throughout all the land. But the Lord even says that that place was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. The Hebrew word for confused is not Babel, but Balel. To confuse, to mix up, it's a play on words. The Lord even let them have the name of that city because no, it wasn't a gateway to God, it was confusion confusing the languages of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. But it, this isn't the only generation that falls into this trap, nor is this uh, the only generation in this place that falls into this trap. The patriarchs, Adam, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the, the sons of Jacob would have pride in their hearts to make a name for themselves at different times. Pharaoh's heart in Egypt during the time of Joseph uh, and, and on even into the, the time of Moses would have this pride in, in the hardness of their heart. The Israelites, when they wandered in the wilderness after being delivered by God from Egypt into the Red Sea, they too would have pride in the hardness of their hearts even when they got into the promised land, they would ex experience that and, uh, and reveal that in their lives. But even in Babylon, many, many years later, centuries later, King Nebuchadnezzar's heart was this very same way. And the Lord humbled him too in the very same place as our story reads today. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, the Bible says that, the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as the royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, 
To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. The three little pigs hadn't read Genesis chapter 11. I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar had read Genesis chapter 11. And if he had, he probably wouldn't have been boasting and so proudful of the kingdom that he had built in the place where the, where the tower was destroyed and the people spread out over the, the face of the earth. This is why our Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, uh, make it abundantly clear. The New Testament authors quote Solomon in the Proverbs multiple times where it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're writing stuff down this morning, make sure you write that verse down. Write down James 4.6, 1 Peter 5.5, 5, Proverbs 3.34, That's where the language of my points come from this morning and from our text this morning. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In in fact, God's opposition in this moment of this Tower of Babel was in in and of itself gracious. The good news uh, isn't necessarily found in... Genesis chapter 11, 1 through 9, though it is God's grace to oppose their efforts that would lead to their eternal death, uh, we don't see the, the good news come until later on in our Bible in this passage. So we need to travel just a little bit uh, forward into the Old Testament where in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 9, the, the prophet Zephaniah speaks a message of hope for the, the confused and dispersed nations of the world. Listen to the Lord's promise to reverse Babel, at least uh, in the coming days. Zephaniah 3 verse 9 says, For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon, listen, the name of the Lord, and serve Him with one accord. Doesn't that sound like the opposite of what was happening in Genesis 11? He says, from beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering." On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. And you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people. How does he describe them? Humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge. Where? In the name of of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. The good news isn't found in Genesis chapter 11 yet, but you continue reading through the Bible, we see that the Lord promises that one day He will make right what was wronged here in Genesis chapter 11. He'll reverse Babel. 
And in fact, there was. There, there would come a day where there would be a partial reversal of Babel in the end. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, and those of us that studied the book of Acts together last year, you may remember uh, in Acts chapter 2, a moment in time when Jesus' followers were gathered together in the upper room uh, praying, and in that moment, the Spirit of God came upon them. It says that they started speaking in languages that they had never learned, studied, or ever spoken before so that all of the nations of the world that had come to Jerusalem that week for the Feast of Pentecost were able to then understand in their own language the good news of of Jesus Christ. You can go read in Acts chapter 2 about uh, this in in verse 6 where It says that they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And it goes on to list all of the languages or many of the languages that were spoken in that day. After Jesus had left heaven and come down to earth to live a perfect and sinless life and willingly, himself, who he refers to himself, not as the gate uh, to God, but the door to God, he says of himself in John chapter 10, that he is the door to God. He comes and he willingly lays down his life by dying on the cross. He's buried in a tomb for three days, and yet on the third day, he's raised from the dead. The first fruits of life. Not only abundant life here on this earth, but eternal life to come. And he offers all that eternal life to all who repent and believe in him. He commissions his followers to go and make disciples of all nations, speaking the gospel to all people groups, all tongues, all tribes, all languages. And then he equips them to do that. He gives them his very own spirit to do that. And Acts chapter 2 um, the, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church at Pentecost is a, just a glimpse. It's just a partial reversal of what happens in Genesis chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel, the confusion and the dispersion. There on that day, the dispersed nations, like Zephaniah promised, would come together and they would hear in a pure language. They would hear the gospel in their own language, that there is, as the apostles preached in Acts chapter 4, that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see, the reason that uh, all of this talk about building a name for themselves in Genesis chapter 11 is, is so important is because The name Shem, whose genealogy precedes and follows, literally means name. And so Moses has thematically placed this story of a people who are going to try to build a name for themselves being confused and dispersed because they didn't make a name, lift high the name of the Lord. And so here in Acts chapter 2, Babel is reversed 
And the apostles are not making a name for themselves. They're telling people to repent and believe in the name of Jesus Christ, by which everyone must be saved. This is what Peter preached to the Jews in Acts chapter 4. This is what Peter preached to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10, in verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is what John, why John wrote his entire gospel after that period of Acts. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In the name of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 9, Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Who? Jesus. And bestowed on him. Who? Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In fact, this is the same thing that Jesus preached. We see that in Luke 24, verse 47, that he commanded repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. This was the plan from the very beginning to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the glory of God, the name of God. And yet man didn't do it. They couldn't do it in their fallen state. And so God sent His very own Son to make known the name, the saving name of Jesus Christ. That's what His name means. Yeshua. The Lord saves. That's why His name is so powerful. And even in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, we're reminded by the wisdom of Solomon who had, I think, read Genesis chapter 11, where he says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous man runs into it and is safe. That's the partial reversal of Babel that happened at Pentecost when the apostles were supernaturally able to speak the languages of the nations in preaching the gospel. But the ultimate reversal of Babel is going to happen in heaven when we will praise the Lord with a common language. I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 through 14. If you'd write that verse down, you could go back and look at it. But I want you to listen when John has a vision of the throne room in heaven. In verse 9 of chapter 5, he says, They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. 
And then he writes, Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of, of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. This is the ultimate reversal of Babel that is to come in, in the days ahead, in the future. When the Lord returns to take all of those who have repented and believed and gathers them together from every tribe, tongue, and la- uh, tribe, tongue nation, and language, and we worship Him together. Randy Alcorn writes this about uh, that event as well as the account in Babel. And he says, The Babel account offers clues to the importance of shared language in an ideal society. God confused the language of the people and dispersed them. So their great city went unfinished. Notice that all the people originally shared one language, which empowered them to cooperate together in great achievements, but because they were united in self-glorification rather than God-glorification, they embraced a false unity that would have empowered further rebellion and self-destruction because the people weren't united around their God-designed purpose to rule the earth for His glory God removed a source of their destructive unity and power, their shared language. Once mankind is made righteous and entrusted with stewarding the new earth, God will likely restore a common language. In the end, in the book of Revelation, it ends with not a city that is building a tower with its top in the heavens. There's a new city that's already been built for us that Jesus himself says, I'm going to prepare for you a place. And it's coming down out of the heavens. The new Jerusalem. Uh, In Revelation 21, verse 10, it says, John says that he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. There's coming a day when there will be a greater city than any city mankind could ever make because it's made by God. And the glory of God is on display there. But before that happens, before those who have repented and believed get to enjoy that eternal life with God forever in heaven, the Bible talks that there will be a judgment. That there will be a judgment. There will be a 
coming down, if you will, of God, much like there was a coming down of the Lord in Babel to discipline and judge them then. There will be a second coming, another judgment, an eternal judgment of the Lord in the end. The Bible talks that we ought to be ready for that. We ought to be ready for that judgment. And the only way to make ourselves ready is by confessing our sin, repenting of our sin, and believing upon the name of Jesus Christ and His good works, His death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead for our salvation. If you have yet to put your faith and your hope in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to find your place secured by the Lord Himself in heaven, I urge you to do that today. There is nothing more important for you to spend these moments considering, to spend this afternoon, to spend this week considering um, making that decision. If the Lord has answered my prayer from earlier, that the Lord would reveal Himself and your own proud attempts of making a name for yourself, a na- to save yourself by your attempts. If the Lord has revealed that to you today and you realize that your attempts, like the attempts of the people at Babel, would fall short, short of the heavens, short of the glory of God, as Romans 3.23 says, uh, and Romans 6.23 says that the wages of those sins is death, then do what Christ himself has said. Repent and believe in his name that is above every name, that at his name every knee in heaven will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you have put your hope in the name of Christ for your salvation, praise the Lord. Remember that this morning. Remember that your salvation is not in your efforts. It's not because of your name, but it's because of his name. Uh, Worship him. Honor him. Glorify him. Remember that these years that you've been given on this earth are not to secure or provide for yourself a more comfortable settling here alone, but to make His glory known. And so if you can settle here well to live for His namesake and His glory among the people that are around you during this season in your life, praise the Lord. Do so intentionally. But if you sense the Lord calling you to give up what the Lord has given you, even here in this place, to be able to go and make this gospel known to those whom it's uh, not made known to yet, then be willing to do that. Let's remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, words that, that almost echo what happened in Genesis chapter 11. Jesus saying, don't fall into the same trap that they fell into at Babel. Jesus says in Matthew 6.19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys 
and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We are urged by Jesus himself. Paul says something very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. Um, we are urged by Christ and his apostles in the New Testament to not live for this life alone, to not live to make a name for ourselves that will be passed on even to our own kids or to our grandkids or even to make us famous in, in this century. But we're to live and to spend our lives to make his name famous, to make his name known, to store up treasures in heaven, that is, the souls of men, uh, not to store up treasures here on the earth where moth and rust destroy. The purpose of our life is not to pridefully make a name for ourselves, but to humbly know and make known the saving name of Jesus Christ, lest we too are confused and dispersed, not just in this life, but the next life as well. So don't be like those three little pigs and acting like you've never read Genesis 11. Having read, having studied Genesis 11, let's not build houses of straw and sticks or even bricks. Let's build houses of eternal treasures, making a name for the Lord, making the Lord's name famous here on this earth, and seeing the souls of men come to repent of their sins and believe in the name of Jesus and have their names who are written in the Lamb's book of life be read again in the end. Let's pray. Father, I confess that my, I myself, and I assume everybody here, struggles at one time or another in aiming to build a name for ourselves or aiming to build and store up treasures here on this earth. God, I, I confess uh, that I have done that, that we have done that here in your church. And God, I, I repent. I want to turn from those moments, turn from those desires, lay them down at the foot of the cross knowing that they've been paid for and to stand up again in the power of your Holy Spirit having been made righteous by your blood and want to live for your name's sake. We want to live for your name's sake. We want to live not for treasures here on this earth, but for treasures that will make it through the judgment of fire in the end. God, I pray that we would hold our name, hold our homes, hold our bank accounts, Hold our jobs, hold our gifts and talents, hold everything that you've given to us, even our health loosely, that we might use them for your name's sake, lest you need to come and discipline us, oppose us graciously to set us on the right trajectory. God, leave us not to ourselves, as that would be the worst possible outcome for us. And God, if we are unwilling to repent even today, 
and pray, God, that you would come down and discipline us, that we might be turned back to having our eyes on you. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who's realized that their attempts to secure a name for themselves in heaven fall short, that they would repent and believe and hold fast in faith to the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus by which we must be saved. We love you. We praise you as only you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.